We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to another episode of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, January 3rd. Nick Whalen here. Uh, I'm joined by, now we could officially say, a recurring guest on the podcast. He is Brandon Kravitz, uh, host of uh, Orlando Magic Radio host, I should say, for 96.9 The Game down in Orlando. Uh, Brandon, very glad to have you back on the show. Uh, you joined us a couple months ago, gave us some great early season insights uh, on the Orlando Magic and Looking forward to digging back in and, and checking in on what has become one of the fun, bad teams in the NBA. I, I hope that's not offensive to, to call the Magic a bad team, but I enjoy watching this team night in and night out. I mean, I, I think that it's fair to call them bad. You look at their exactly. record and the, uh, that would be from from an outsider's view. I don't think they're bad per se, but it's also relative to where they were before. I don't expect other people to look at it through that lens. Yes, from a general sense, they're definitely a bad team, but I appreciate you having me back on, Nick. Getting the invite for the second appearance is yeah. always sort of a, it's a nice feeling because it means you didn't totally suck the first time. So it's, it's, it's a good, <laughs> that's a good feeling. Hey, not everybody gets that second call. You're that's right what about I'm saying. that. I get it, it. It's an honor and a privilege to have you back. Uh, that is for sure. Um, look, you're right. So the Orlando Magic at one point were 5-20. and 20. Uh, this season and you know then all of a sudden they they won six in a row they they won eight out of nine at one point so had we done this conversation a week ago i think maybe we would have framed it or i would have framed it a little bit differently but now three straight losses to the lakers the pistons uh and the wizards we will of course uh, touch on that pistons game later in the pod but um you know what, what is kind of the state of the union right now from your perspective as the orlando magic near the halfway point I think we're about to kind of find out. I don't think we're ready to address the uh, general public on that just yet, but we're uh, we're moments away from it because you kind of felt like the team had turned a corner. Winning eight of nine is not something that bad teams do, and so that was something that was a big conversation point on my local show. Was just that you know this isn't 
bad teams don't win eight of nine games. They don't go on win streaks like this. They don't beat teams consistently like the teams that they were able to take down. Two wins in Boston, you just don't really see that. Bad teams win games, but they don't get hot on stretches like that. That's what good teams do. Uh, And then to follow that up with not just losing three straight, but losing three straight by 19 or 20 points in each of those and against a team like the Detroit Pistons and letting the Wizards come into your building where the Magic had been prior to the Lakers and the Wizards showing up had been a 500 basketball team, which is certainly far better than their overall record. So I think the state of the union is a wait and see because we kind of thought they had turned a corner. Then they lost three games and have been embarrassed in all three. What do they do next? I think kind of tells us really exactly what they are because I don't think anybody really knows yet what the magic exactly are at this point in the season I feel that way about 80% of the league at this point it's like we, <laughs> we know Boston Milwaukee Cleveland and probably Brooklyn at this point we know those are good teams I, I think Philly's in that basket as well uh in the west I, I don't know how many teams are on that list I mean it, it feels like it's still wide open you know it's, it's one of those years where if you go three or four days without checking the standings things just look completely different than they did the last time you looked and, and that's been the case, you know, kind of especially in the middle of the Eastern Conference and even at the top, all of a sudden the Brooklyn Nets have overtaken the Milwaukee Bucks for the number two spot that that seemed inconceivable a month ago. But, uh, Brandon, I'm glad you brought up, you know, that that six game winning streak. And, you know, it's not like they they beat the Houston Rockets and the, the, the San Antonio Spurs six times in a row, although they did beat both of those teams after the streak. But those six wins came against the Clippers, the Raptors twice, the Celtics twice, both at Boston. And then an Atlanta Hawks team that's been hanging around 500. So those were all quality victories, as you pointed out. I I mean, my question to you was at that point, you know, like when they had won six in a row, you beat Boston twice in three nights, you're sitting at 11 and 20. I'm sure organizationally, you know, the magic were still, you still have things in perspective as far as what's realistic. But, you know, do you think they've kind of at all been teetering between, hey, do we maybe try to make a push for the play in versus, we know what's at stake if we end up with a, a top two or three pick in the 2023 draft. I mean, I kind of think that just the feeling that I get when they started that slide early on and you were seeing guys not come back from injury, it's kind of easy to the, the last conversation you and I had, I was trying to the magic weren't passing the smell test to me for what right. a tanking team looks like, but it was also too early to make that call. I think there were a couple of teams that we knew going into the season, they would be tanking the magic or one of those questionable squads early on not passing the smell test then they start to turn things around I think what you're seeing now is management's probably perfectly okay with however this falls you know wherever they end up they're okay with it it's kind of hard to out tank the teams that are going to get the 14 percenters that are out there I don't think you're going to be able to out tank them there's no out tanking the pistons and the rockets and the spurs at this point you know they're going to run away with it and so once you kind of settle into well you're definitely not one of those teams you're better than that but how good are you Right. If they fight for a play-in, great. If they don't and the percentages are higher to get Victor Wimbanyama or Scoot Henderson, that's mm-hmm. also great. I think they're just kind of going to sit back and and see what happens. I, I can tell you that my instant reaction when I saw the team start to really gain steam. Beating Boston twice was great, but that was also in the early end of this, and so that felt NBA fluky to me more than anything else. We got mm-hmm. excited about it. But it, it didn't really feel sustainable until those wins against Toronto. That's when you started to realize, like, no, this team's winning a similar style of game. They're winning these ugly games. They're playing good defense. They're knocking down threes. Paolo's 
playing clutch down the stretch. He's getting to the free throw line like stars do late in games. That's when I started to go, you know what? Maybe this team needs to be aggressive at the deadline and just kind of see where the, where they can go with this. Obviously, there's a ceiling to it, but I'm curious to see what that ceiling is. Uh, I think now we're kind of settling back to reality, which is the chips are going to fall where they may, and they might make some moves at the deadline, but it's probably going to be more of an exodus than anything else. Yeah, we'll get to the deadline moves in a little bit. I have a couple names I want to toss at you as as potential, uh, you know, sell off options come the trade deadline. But two things on what you just said. So, you know, as of right now, Orlando is three and a half games up on Charlotte. If my math is correct, like, are are you convinced that they're officially out of this when it comes to trying to be a bottom three team? Because it's it's still within reason you know it's like they're, they're a six game losing streak away from potentially you know pulling within a game or two of Detroit for the worst record in the east uh you know there's only one team in the west that that has 10 wins that's Houston I mean the Spurs and the Magic are basically equal uh, in terms of their record right now so, so do you really believe that they they'll kind of remain a cut above those truly truly bottom feeder teams and then uh, the second part of this question is are they more comfortable kind of going either way with this season as you alluded to it's like yeah maybe you make a run and uh, you, you stay out of the basement. That's all well and good. Are they okay with that because they already feel like they have their key piece in place in Palo Bancaro? I mean, I think they would love to have another one of those pieces. I don't think that they're done collecting those. I just think that they are realistic in that the team that they've built to this point is too good to be a bottom three team, but it's not yet good enough to push to that next stratosphere. So they kind of they kind of just are where they are. I wholeheartedly believe that there is. There's really nothing they could do outside of a Nancy Kerrigan type of move to Paolo Bancaro's ankle. You know, <laughs> we're, we're like they, the Pistons lost Cade Cunningham, so that right. life was made easy on them. Um, yeah, right. That's a tough break for the Magic. <laughs> exactly. I mean, in a way, you know. Um, no, between Paolo, Franz, who are solid players already in their very young careers the stability that Markel Fultz brings to them at the point guard position. And then Wendell Carter Jr. is a good big too, you know, and they're, and they're getting healthier. They're not going the other direction like a lot of those other teams. So, and the pieces they have are too young to, to sell off. So, so it's not like they can make that. They're not Mm going to trade those guys that I just mentioned at the deadline. So if they're on the roster, they're going to be better than those bottom teams. I'm not crowding them. I'm just saying they're better than the Pistons and the Hornets. That's all. Yeah. High praise for sure. But no, you're right. You're right. I think that is an interesting point that, you know, when you talk about potential pieces to sell off, you know, the, the names that I was going to throw out are, you know, Terrence Ross, who I think is a fairly obvious one. He's on an yeah. expiring contract. You know, it kind of feels like he he's almost like their version of Eric Gordon, where I feel like every year we're talking about, are they going to trade Terrence Ross? And then somehow he's on the roster still playing 25 minutes a game every season. Uh, and then I think Gary Harris would be the other one. He's still under contract next season. Uh, at 13 mil. So maybe a, a little bit more difficult to trade than Terrence Ross. But yeah, I mean, you're not trading Bad Caro. You're not trading Bull Bull, Wendell Carter, uh, either of the Wagners. You know, like I, I think if they're, if they're going to make a move to try to fall back in the standings, it's just going to be the OKC, we're holding you out for rest purposes down the stretch method. Exactly. And I, and I don't, I just don't see that happening. I mean, maybe we're, if we talked down the stretch like the last two weeks of the season, maybe, but yeah. not at, it would have to be one of those where they're well out of range and and there's clearly a spot they're trying to get to in the hierarchy of the lottery, but that's going to be late down the road because a lot of those guys, they're just, they're young, they're still getting their reps and 
to to sit them down would be so fishy. We're not talking about a veteran situation. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting you mentioned Bull Bull. I don't think he's going to get traded, but man, if the Magic wanted to get into the we're going to trade to get a guy business, he would have to be part of that discussion because of the upside that he flashes, his unique mm-hmm. ability that is not growing on trees out there, and his contract is divine for a GM out there. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's making $2 million a year in the NBA. That's pennies in this league. So that's one I don't think it's going to happen because the Magic are also looking at it the same way. Like, why we would try and acquire right. someone like this. We're not trying to deal someone like this. But if you're looking at who, who would be uh, attractive in a trade, Gary Harris is more attractive than Terrence Ross. I'm not sure either gets you anything more than a second-round pick. And so what what are you actually yeah. building towards? Because the Magic in the past have not shown a commitment to even keeping their second-round picks. So getting second-round picks means nothing to this organization. They don't use them. Yeah, that's a fair point. And going back to Bowl for a second, he just turned 23 in November. I, I I totally get that perspective of you know not wanting to be the team that that trades the guy who has shown this kind of upside. But what do you think the general vibe is? Like, is there kind of a too good to be true? Like, should we sell high? Uh, almost like looking at this from a fantasy basketball perspective with Bowl, or is there a belief that three four years down the road, I mean, this is going to be a core player for the Magic? I I think that's the I think that's the belief. Uh, the problem is, is that he doesn't defend all that well, and I'm not sure how much that's going to change. He's, he's a great shot blocker, but once you get past Bull Bull, it's pretty much open season. He's sort of a little turnstile in that way. So in that regard, you know, it, can he be, is he an exciting player on a young team? Yes. Can he be the cornerstone big slash wing on a championship team? That's still to be seen. But why, why would you trade away a guy like that unless yeah. you're getting something in the building that is that's surefire. Like if they were to get, I don't even know who would be available that would be of that caliber. But like the the deal that the Pacers made to bring in Tyrese Halliburton, which is yeah. I think changed the trajectory of that franchise moving forward. Not so much for this year, but just in the future, they look like the arrows pointed in the right direction. The Magic need a guy like that, and if they if that's the only way you can get them, then fine. But if if you're not getting something that is slam dunk. You're handling the ball ninety percent of the time on offense. Then uh, I don't think that's a guy you can get rid of, at least for the for his price tag. He's under contract at two point two million next season as well, which is is not even guaranteed. And and obviously at this rate, Orlando will easily pick that up. I think the only way that you trade Bull is if, as an organization, you come to terms with the fact that you don't want to pay him his next contract, which you know could be literally like 15 times the value of his current contract. And then I think you maybe cross that bridge at the deadline next year. But yeah, there's right. there's not a lot of upside to trading Bull Bull at this juncture, like you said, unless there's a team out there that really does view him as, as the swing piece in a potential cornerstone deal. The Rotowire NBA pod is brought to you by Pickett. Pickett is a social bet tracking app that takes all the hassle out of tracking your bets and your betting performance over time. Pickett connects to all of the major U.S. sports books like DraftKings and FanDuel and others, uh, as well as all the major DFS pick'em providers such as Prize Picks, Underdog Fantasy, and Thrive. Once you hook up all your sports books, Pickett does the heavy lifting from there to slice and dice your betting data. You'll get detailed historical PL, you'll get graphs, unique breakdowns by team, sport, player, bet type, etc. Uh, you get the gist. You can also line shop 
for the best odds across your link sportsbooks to make sure that whenever you're betting, you are getting the most bang for your buck. When your bets are live, you could track the scores and stats of all the games you bet on, as well as get player prop updates from most major player prop markets. That means no more switching between your sportsbook app and different score apps. Uh, I, I usually use ESPN, so if I, you know, if I if I have Prize Picks going or you know a DraftKings lineup, I'm, I'm always shuffling between apps, closing one out, not realizing that I closed it out. Uh, so getting all those notifications in one spot via the Picket app is huge. I actually love that idea. I think that's my favorite feature about this app. Again, no more opening, reopening, closing NBA box scores every five minutes. It's all right there in the Picket app. By far, the biggest differentiator, however, is that Picket syncs your betting history and all your bets from all legal major sportsbooks, so there is no manual entry required to track your bets. Again, no manual entry. It links directly to the sportsbooks. You don't have to you know, double type everything down and keep it like a little notebook. It automatically logs everything for you. Once you have those accounts linked, it's pretty much effortless from there. The social feed, the community is what turns Picket from just a bet tracking app to a home for betting. When you can learn from others, you can tail people, you can go against people, you can see what others are doing. You can find verified content to inform your betting decisions. Visit picket.com. That's P-I-K-K-I-T.com to download the Picket app today. Again, that's Picket, P-I-K-K-I-T. Jonathan Isaac, out of nowhere, practices in full uh, yesterday. That was on Monday. Is he actually close to playing? You know, he's one of these guys that we, we've tracked really closely over the last few years for fantasy purposes at Rotowire. He's almost become kind of a joke, you know, as far as like, you know, what was going on in the world the last time Jonathan Isaac played in the NBA. Like I, I tweeted yesterday, I had to look this up. Joe Kim Noah was a member of the Clippers the last time Jonathan Isaac played in the NBA. Hassan Whiteside was leading the league in blocks the last time Jonathan Isaac played in the NBA. And yet yeah, the defensive potential, especially that he showed, like there's still... There's still that intrigue there. You know, a lot of guys that have these injuries, you, you kind of give up and you say, well, you know, he'll never quite be the guy that he was. Isaac is still young enough that it, it's it's really interesting, I think, what he's going to look like when he gets back. So what is what is the true latest update on when we might see Jonathan Isaac back in an NBA game? Yeah, my favorite is that uh, Nikola Jokic hadn't won any MVPs prior to uh, <laughs> the last time we saw Jonathan Isaac. I mean... If Jalen Suggs has missed 18 games, Jonathan Isaac has missed an administration. I mean, it's been it's been forever since we've seen him, but I do think he's genuinely on his way back. They had him playing with the uh, the Lakeland G League squad a couple of weeks back, and so he was he was playing full scrimmages with that team. That was a good sign. Now he's practicing with the um, with the main roster, and so we're, we're seeing all of these trends that are pointing in the right direction. I think uh, I was hopeful that we'd see him. Maybe it would be like a little Christmas present for uh, Magic fans out there. But we are we are past the holiday, mm-hmm. so at this point, I think I think by the end of January would be a realistic timeline. But that's just me playing guesswork, just based on the way that things have progressed. It seems like every time he hits a new stage, it goes totally dark for about two weeks. So I don't think that because he practiced, he's going to play later this week. But I would say by the end of the month. I would be, I'm almost an idiot saying this, but I'd be surprised if we don't see him by the end of the month. But check back I mean, with me on that one. If you're putting in a full practice on January 2nd, yeah. I think that's realistic. I mean, yeah. I think you have to judge a player like Isaac differently than than a player who's missed two weeks, you know, as opposed to like three years at this point. Um, 
what is his role when he comes back? You know, I, I assume there'll be a long runway where maybe he's limited to, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, but you know, in the best case scenario where Jonathan Isaac looks like a reasonable facsimile of his old self and he's able to play 20, 25 minutes, like, is he starting? Is he, you know, is, is anything you get from him just kind of gravy at this point? Definitely gravy. I don't see a situation where he's starting because I think they're pretty happy when healthy with the starters they have out there. Uh, the the lineup that they had, even with Wendell Carter Jr. coming off of the bench, because he hasn't been a starter yet since coming back. And I mean, outside of that th- three game losing streak aside, because one of those games we're dealing with, you're dealing with suspensions and the other one, the suspensions uh, occurred. So things kind of sort of got away from you there. But in terms of where the team is having Mo Wagner as the starting center and bringing Wendell Carter Jr. off the bench is probably not the way that it's going to continue, but it at least provides a sense of stability with that second unit, a second unit on a young bottom dwelling team in the NBA, much better than it's one of the reasons I think they're better than their counterparts. Adding Jonathan Isaac to that mix, to that second unit that provides some defensive stability. That way, when you break from your starters, you don't get run out of the building like so many bad teams do. I think that that's going to be his role, and I don't think that that ever changes. I think that Jonathan Isaac will forever be um, a defensive contributing, grab rebounds, the occasional bucket um, defensive force for uh, for a bench unit in the NBA hopefully for the magic if not then for somebody else down the road but that's what I see in his future we've seen enough from Jonathan Isaac to know that he's a good basketball player he's incredibly injury prone so if you're expecting a lot of minutes out of him I think that's a fool's errand Mm -hmm. if you're expecting um, Robert Williams light out of him I think that's probably a smarter approach yeah I mean he he was never really that much of a high minutes guy, even before this latest series of injuries. I mean, even his peak year, he was only averaging like 26, 27 minutes per game, which is fairly low uh, when you're talking about top 100 fantasy guys. Uh, Another injured player in Orlando, Jalen Suggs. He also practiced earlier this week. The hope is that he's going to be back within the next couple of days. Uh, Obviously a, a much different situation than Isaac, but he hasn't played in well over a month, basically around Thanksgiving uh, what's the deal with Suggs? Uh, it feels like kind of for the second year in a row, we're almost halfway through the year and it's it's been really, it's been tough to evaluate him. You know, it's hard to tell if he's really made progress. I, I will say I I saw someone use the, the K word when it came to Jalen Suggs on Twitter the other day. They compared him to Chris Dunn. Don't love Ooh, to see that, uh, but I, I understand it at the same time. Yeah, I don't know where he really fits in, to be honest. I mean, if this team is playing well, now if they're if they're not, you take anything that you can get and you throw it against the wall. But if I'm thinking of the 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 magic the way that they looked for about a two week span, that team with add Jonathan Isaac back to the mix, not that those two compete for uh, area on the floor, but it, you can only play so many guys in a rotation. Where does Jalen Suggs fit in? Because he's not better at controlling the offense than Markel Fultz. Fultz has been clutch for this team and helping to set up the offense. And he's tenacious when it comes to offensive rebounds and steals. So he's he brings a lot to the table that I don't think necessarily always shows up on the box score. Cole Anthony is that spark plug off the bench where he he's sort of a streaky shooter, but he can be instant offense for a team that struggles to shoot. Jalen Suggs is none of those things. He is some of those things some of the time, but we see so much hot potato with his good play that I don't know how you could take those guys off the floor because you want to get Jalen Suggs out there. And 
that's where I think you, we, we sort of end up in a place where I don't know where he fits into a magic roster that's playing well. If those guys continue to to gobble up those minutes and be productive with them, when we're talking about a trade deadline, whether it's this year or a trade deadline a year from now when this team's actually trying to be uber competitive, I think that's a name to really look out for. Well, especially now that they're going with this big lineup and Franz Wagner is essentially playing the two, you know, I, I think that just kind of squeezes out even more of this guard rotation. And, you know, does it feel to you like at some point they're going to have to choose two of Suggs, Fultz and Cole Anthony? Like, yeah. is it sustainable for all three of those guys to just be core pieces on this roster? I don't think so. Cause I, and, and because they, even those guys at their best still aren't solving some of the problems that this right. team has to have a, a guard in the NBA that can pop and shoot uh, with a high percentage, high efficiency that can take over a game. Having Paolo is nice, but you still need elite guard play in this league if you're going to compete. And the Magic don't have that. Fultz is the best version of what they've had in a while, but he still has a little, he's a little rough around the edges when it comes to his outside shot. And I think that the, it just limits you offensively when that's the case. So where do yeah, I don't I, I think you have to pick between two of those three. I don't know where Jalen Suggs fits into that mix. Uh, because this is a guy also just kind of tracking this team day to day as I do, they turned the ball over a ton early in the season. It was the biggest problem they had when it came to when it when it would come to winning basketball games was they, their turnover rate was insane. They were at like twenty, it seemed like per game. Since he's been out of the lineup, they have corrected that uh, remarkably. And I think that, that there's a big correlation there. So for a team like this that already needs to make the most of their possessions to not have a guy that's turning the ball over on a regular basis has kind of helped them. I think Jalen Suggs still has a ton of upside, but yeah, he could also be Chris Dunn. So you kind of have to be careful with that. And there's only so many minutes to go around. So at some point they're going to need to make a decision. And as it stands at this moment, he would be on the chopping block of that decision, I think. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, a few more magic items and then we'll finish out uh, with, with just some more general NBA topics. But we've gone a long time now without even mentioning Paolo Banquero. Remains the heavy, heavy rookie of the year favorite. Uh, been a little bit more up and down the last month. Uh, you know, was obviously super consistent coming out of the gates at all those 20 point games in the first month of the season. Season long numbers still look really good. You know, had had that dud against the Lakers last week. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it, it's still been remarkably consistent when you're talking about any rookie up over 20 points per game. Uh, the rookie class overall, though, kind of disappointing. So far, and and I think part of it is not having Chet Holmgren. You know that that was that was a, a huge piece, obviously the number two overall pick. But you know Ben Matherin started to cool off a bit over the last few weeks. Keegan Murray, Jabari Smith, they've kind of been scuffling uh, throughout this season. I mean, there, there are some fun names kind of in the middle of the first round, but overall, it feels like Bancaro ha- it just kind of continues to pull away from the pack. Yeah, because he's not playing like a rookie. I mean, up until the last three games, I think that's the first wall we've seen him hit. And that's the biggest reason why a lot of these guys are giving you rookie type performances. They're really good for two weeks and then they fall off a cliff. Uh, I've seen Jabari Smith a couple of times now, and I've just never really been all that impressed. And this is a guy that I watched closely at Auburn. And he blew me away. I thought he should have been the number one overall pick. And this is why I'm not an NBA GM. Uh, but Paolo has <laughs> been great. I mean, the last three has been I, I don't know what happened. Uh, I think he was really looking forward to that LeBron matchup. He was very open about the fact that LeBron was his guy growing up. And I think a lot of guys coming into the league can probably say the same thing. He's been the face of the league mm-hmm. since 2003 or, you know, right around there. Um, but he only scored four points in that game. And I think that's one of those things that probably messed with him mentally. Because we saw him come out the very next game against Detroit and it was a flat effort, 15 points, but. Um, just nothing of substance and then scored 21 against the Wizards. But that was basically all garbage time. I mean, that was another one of those games where these weren't valuable points there in fantasy. It all counts the same. And that's a beautiful thing. But uh, we haven't seen Paolo affect the game over the last couple uh, as he was prior to that. So he's got to find a way to get over that. Otherwise, he's going to end up in that sort of conversation with those other guys where we look and go, wow, what an incredible two months. But at the end of the day, he's still a rookie that we're excited about, but he's still a rookie. Overall, he just hasn't looked like that. He he looks so comfortable out on the floor. He knows his spots. Um, he only shoots threes when he's wide open. <laughs> so that's he knows that that's not his game, but he's trying to improve at it. When he can't get a bucket, he he draws fouls, and we just don't see a lot of rookies do that. The the physicality is what sticks out to be the most. I forget what game it was you know, within the last week or so. He had, had a baseline drive and he was kind of met at the rim. And a lot of guys either try to avoid that contact or they, they kind of absorb it. And, and, you know, you get knocked off your spot. Like he just went right through it and finished on the left side. I mean, he, we, we said it last time we chatted. I mean, I, it, it, to me, it seems like he, I know he didn't, but he gained like 20 pounds of muscle between the end of his, his Duke season and the start of this season. Like he looks like a completely different player. He looks more athletic. He looks more cut. He looks more confident. And he's going to have those games like he did against the Lakers and LeBron every now and then, every every rookie does. But even his lows have been nowhere near as low 
as the lows that we've seen from from Murray and, and Jabari Smith and Matherin. And I'm with you on Jabari Smith, man. I, I I do think he's in a tough spot. I think asking any rookie to just kind of basically be a role player around guys like Jalen Green and Kevin Porter and Alperin Shengu, and those are all me first, score first players. I think he's in a difficult spot. That's not his game at all. I, I think he's the type of guy that would have been better off, you know, going to a kind of win now type of situation, which usually isn't realistic when you're a top three pick, you know, you, you got to get over that. But to me, I, I think I'm, I'm more convinced now that he projects as a kind of super role player long-term as opposed to like a future number one option, which is typically what you're targeting in the top three. Yeah. I mean, I, I think right now what we're seeing with, with Paolo is that he just he was handed the keys to the franchise right away and not, and these other guys weren't afforded that. Um, it, and, and he was NBA ready for it in terms of his body. I think you're right in terms of what he added to that in order to be even more ready for the moment. And it's his franchise. So, and, and this, the team that's around him recognizes that they're okay with it. These are a lot of selfless individuals. They, it's a really good group of guys, you know, and they all support each other and they understand that Paolo's the man on the team. And so I think that allows him to feel a little bit more comfortable where he doesn't have to have that awkward sort of, where do I fit into this mix situation that a lot of rookies have to battle through. You mentioned Jabari Smith. I mean, he steps into a situation where he wants to shoot, but he's around a bunch of guys that are just chucking it. So where, do, where do you fit into that? There's, it's, yeah. there's like a square peg round hole or, you know, maybe they have too many square pegs, however you want to phrase that. Uh, and and then you're seeing with the situation um, in terms of uh, uh, Matherin, you know, he's not the primary guy. You know, they've got they've got other players that they're building around. And so uh, I think it, it, it's a little bit tougher for those guys to fit in. Paolo is the franchise right now, and it's just he's taken ownership of that and, he, and he's built for it body wise. And there hasn't been any pushback. I mean, I don't know who else on this team would think it's their franchise necessarily, but you know, the guys who've been on this team for a few years, they're okay with a, a 19 year old coming in and just being the guy. I mean, I, I haven't heard anything. Otherwise the only person that I can think is not taking this so well would be Jalen Suggs because yeah. he was given a lot of that same fanfare when he was drafted a year ago. I, mean, I was at the arena when he was selected fifth overall, the place erupted Everybody went crazy. The Suggs jerseys were flying off the shelves. The conversation was finally the Magic have found their star, and we see how that's transpired since. I mean, clearly you can't actually say that with any confidence yeah. at this point without looking foolish. So I think that he – and I remember asking him about that at media day. I said, do, do, is there any sense of uh, like you have something to prove because you were the new shiny toy a year ago and now Paolo comes in and – I can't remember what he said, but I do remember the look in his eyes. And this was not somebody that uh, that looked like he was over the moon about being overlooked one year into his NBA career. I don't know that it's an anti-Palo thing. I just think that he wasn't ready to hand the keys over just yet. Look, I, I was a Suggs over Barnes guy coming into yeah. that draft. So I, I, I get it. I, I really thought he would hit the ground running. I, I thought he would be really well-rounded and maybe he still will be. Like like we said, I mean, it just it's been hard to get a, a true evaluation on him with all the injuries. Uh, last thing at Orlando, we got to talk about the fight in Detroit last week. Uh, first of all, did, do you travel to road games? Like, were you in attendance? No, unfortunately not. I was, I was watching from the comfort of my couch. Okay. Well, same here. So, you know, obviously you, you've talked to guys on the team about this. You were watching as close as anybody. What exactly transpired from your perspective? I mean, and then kind of going into the suspensions, 
were you surprised by by the the scope or the length of any of those? I I personally thought Killian Hayes would end up getting more than three games. Uh, same. I mean, I thought what he did was vicious. Um, the fact that Mo Wagner got one game less for checking him into the bench, which we see every other night in the NBA. I mean, I, I fine. If you want to suspend him, that's fine. And I, and I think that a big part of Mo Wagner getting suspended for multiple games or at all, or even getting ejected from the game to begin with, uh, is that it turned into what it turned into. I think if that happens and everybody goes about their business, it's uh, it's a flagrant one, and then we all move on. Uh, but because there was a scuffle, I think things get amplified in terms of our view or the NBA's view of his role and all of that. And knowing Mo, he was probably doing a hefty amount of trash talk that led to that scuffle. And so I think that there's more to it than just him nudging Killian Hayes out of bounds. But I'm with you. Killian Hayes should be suspended even uh, further. You can't have guys punching others in the head, let alone those that aren't even looking at them, which makes it even worse. Um, as for the other guys, I mean, it's just I think it's uh, an unfortunate situation of where you are in terms of proximity because yep. Pistons players were just as involved as Magic players, but it just so happened to happen on their bench. For, for Magic players to support their guy, they had to walk over and see what was going on. It would have been a 10-on-1 fight. Uh, had they not walked over and who knows it's the heat of the moment so right. i i think that just common sense wise that should have been a a wash in terms of the other players that were involved i didn't see anybody do anything that rose to the level of they needed to be suspended no. other than the fact that they walked over to see what was going on yeah i mean if anything i i saw players for both teams you know once once it was clear that wagner was kind of temporarily out of it you know it, there were players on detroit even that were trying to keep guys away and just make sure that that he was all right i i would love to see the nba just do away with the automatic suspension for leaving the bench rule and just make it case by case you know sometimes it's warranted in a situation like this when like how, how are you expected to not leave the bench like you said it's right be 10 on one like it's literally happening on the other team's bench you have to do something um, I, I just think there has to be a little bit of wiggle room, but yeah, I mean, I, in general, I, I'm not a, uh, you know, results over process guy, but it, look, if, I, I don't, I know Wagner after like five or 10 seconds, kind of seemed like he was fine, went back to the bench, got ejected, whatever. If, if you knock somebody out in a game, you got to be getting more than the three game suspension. I, I don't really care. You know, the method I, to me, it kind of seemed like you just happened to catch him in the right spot, but I don't care, man. That's got to be at, at least five to 10 games. Yeah, that's to me, that's two weeks. I think that ironically, too, when we talk about the guys that got involved, the person that I saw that got the most heated and and needed to be restrained more than anybody else was actually Magic coach Jamal Mosley. He was the one that that was the most animated about what went on. I think everybody else was just sort of made themselves present to the situation. He was losing his mind and he didn't get any sort of suspension. So it's interesting the way that those things are handled because it's to your point, I think it's very much a letter of the law situation and not based on the actions of those players. Okay. So last thing on this, do you see there being any carryover? Uh, they, they, these teams play again, first game after the all-star break for Orlando on February 23rd. Yeah, I yeah, I would think so. These are young guys with egos, but not a whole lot to play for this year as it stands right now. So, uh and good. I mean, this is don't we want this? You know, I don't want I don't want guys getting sucker punched in the back of the head, but I I want beef. I want rivalries. I want heat Knicks in the 90s. Yes. So, I'm I'm okay with it. Let's keep it going. Yeah, I I want Jamal mostly like 
being dragged by somebody's foot as he's trying to prevent a uh, a brawl from ensuing on the floor. Right. Speaking of uh, of rivalries, by the way, do we have a single rivalry in the NBA right now? Like, even if you were forced to say what is the best team versus team rivalry, like I, I don't even know where I would begin. Uh, right now, it feels like it's Bucks uh, Celtics. That, I guess, that, yeah. That, that that feels like a pretty good one. Um, geez, what else would we have? I, I mean, the, I, I know people would say like Lakers Celtics overall, but that hasn't yeah. really felt relevant since what the finals twelve years ago. No, if, I mean, if those teams are playing each other, it's not like we, we all collectively say, all right, huddle around your TV. This is going to be yeah, explosive. Right. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't think we do. I think those things tend to pop up during the playoffs and we kind of get these um, microwave r- rivalries in the in the postseason. Like the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves felt like a fun one. And then right. now those teams play each other and it's like, OK, the Grizzlies are playing the Timberwolves yeah. tonight. Yeah, I mean, Grizzlies Warriors, even like the, the fact that that has yeah. a case to be like a top three rivalry in the NBA, I, I think this speaks to the state of the lack of rivalries right now. But you're right. It, it does seem like it's year by year. It's like, OK, wh- whoever happens to match up in a closely contested playoff series, that becomes kind of a mini rivalry. And maybe they play again the next year. I mean, I, I think Cavs Warriors in the last decade, that felt like a rivalry. But then as soon as Kevin Durant arrived in Golden State, even though they continued to play each other, like to me, that that kind of wore the like you know, the back and forthness of the rivalry was pretty much instantly lost once Durant arrived. Yeah. And, you know, it felt like for a while, and I think this is starting to taper off as the conversations really starting to surround just what's going on in the basketball court, but Kyrie Irving versus the fans felt like that was becoming one of the bigger NBA rivalries. Yeah. The, but, my, uh, the, the Miami heat versus fantasy basketball players. That's you. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. That's great. Um, so we're recording this on, on Tuesday the 3rd, uh, like we noted at the top. So we, we are less than 24 hours from Donovan Mitchell throwing up a 71-11 and 11 on Monday night. Uh, that in a double overtime win over the Hawks. Uh, I'm looking at his MVP odds right now, Brandon. He's at 28-1 to 1 over on DraftKings, which seems about right. You know, one night doesn't just automatically, you know, thrust you back into the race. But he, he's on the outskirts. I think as of right now, this is shaping up to be perhaps the most competitive MVP race that I can remember. Usually by now, it feels like we're down to three, maybe four guys, you know, as, as we near the 40 game mark and almost always like I, I can't think of the last time an NBA season ended. And I said, I don't know for a fact who's going to win the MVP. Almost always, you know, by, by the, the final month of the season, it becomes pretty clear where the votes are going to go hmm. this year. I, I, we have six guys who could conceivably win the award, and that's not even counting. John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, Stephen Curry, Devin Booker, you know, guys who were very much on the outskirts of this discussion uh, before missing some time. So Luka, Tatum, Jokic, Giannis, KD, Joel Embiid. I think there's a case to be made that in some seasons in the past, any of those six guys would be the runaway favorite. Hmm. I actually view this a different way. I think we could cut that list in half. Okay. I I mean, you cut out. If Donovan Mitchell continues to score 70, I, maybe, maybe we have a different conversation. Yeah, we'll see. To me, it's Luca is doing unimaginable things right now. He's Jordan-like offensively, so he's at smack dab at the top of the list. Uh, okay. They're fourth in the West, and they are easily a lottery team without him. So that's a, that's a good case for MVP. Nikola Jokic is averaging uh, nearly a triple-double, and it, it, the, his entire team flows through him. He's performing at the level we've seen him win MVPs in the past and maybe even better than that. So I think he is smack dab in that conversation. And then you always look at the best player on the best team. And right now that would be Jason Tatum. So I think those are the three guys and everybody else to me is just chatter at this point. 
uh, maybe if if yes, if the Nets continue on because they're I mean they're one twelve in a row, so it's kind of hard to deny. Maybe you can add Kevin Durant to that mix. I think everybody else is just if it's just window dressing. If you were making a top five, top ten, you've got to factor in the names that you discussed. Uh, but when we talk about the NBA MVP, it's probably Luca and Jokic, and then everybody else. But um, we we tend to favor those that perform at a high level on the best teams in the NBA. And right now, Jason Tatum and maybe Kevin Durant would be a part of that discussion as well. Well, I will tell you that Luca's at plus 260, Tatum plus 350, Jokic 4-1, to Giannis plus 450, Durant 7-1, wow. and Embiid 11-1. to So, so I, Vegas disagrees with me. Vegas disagrees slightly. <laughs> I, I'm with you on the Tatum argument. To me, though, I, I think the problem with Tatum, and he's having a great year, is that all the other guys on this list are having unbelievable statistical seasons. Like yeah. the fact that we didn't even mention Giannis and he's averaging 33 and 12 uh, and beads at like 34 and 10. Um, like those guys have the eye popping numbers. And I think unless Boston runs away with the Eastern conference, like it, unless they're like five or six games better than the next best team. I don't know if that's enough to, to give Jason Tatum that bump, you know, because his numbers are great, but they're not crazy off the charts like the rest of these guys. And you know, by the end of next week, maybe the Nets will be the best team in the East. You know, like Boston's only the number one team in the East by one game right now. So like, I, I just, I, I think they need to build a bigger lead, I guess, for that argument to go in Tatum's favor. And I think you're right about Doncic. He is the rightful favorite. If the Mavericks are in the top six, I, I think he should win it. You know, there, there's going to be a borderline, of course, where some voters say, well, if you're, if you're in seventh or eighth or ninth, I'm just not voting for that guy. But I mean, the numbers are just completely overwhelming with Luka Doncic. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think that you should solely base MVP off of this. I think it's a pretty weak argument when this is your first go-to. Uh, but if you were to take Luka Doncic off of that team, what are the Dallas Mavericks? And that would be the thing I would look and say for a team like Boston taking uh, a player like Jason Tatum or or even Kevin Durant as Kyrie Irving by his side. Luka Doncic is doing this by himself. You know, he is lifting this team all, all by his lonesome. I think you could make a similar case for Giannis right now and what he's doing. I also think that with Giannis and he faces something similar to Nikola Jokic, there's a little bit of voter fatigue when it yep. comes to those players. They're doing things that we've seen them do before. They are still amazing, but we've also voted for it in the past. That's where Luca, I think, gets the advantage because he's doing incredible things and he's never won the award. We're always looking to anoint that next guy and it just feels like he's separating himself from the pack yeah. we're seeing a lot of really good team basketball I think that's one of the reasons for me that it's tougher to go outside of that the top of the list with some of the names that you mentioned like Donovan Mitchell has been amazing and he has been so important to taking the Cavs from a really good team to potentially a great team he's a huge part of that but they play incredible team basketball too uh, Darius Garland's been a big contributor to what they're doing Evan Mobley and um, what I think what they do what the Celtics do they play good team basketball and it doesn't always lend itself to an MVP candidate you bring up a good point with Luke I, I think one of the biggest marks in his favor is that he hasn't won it I, I think you're absolutely right about that I, I think the it's going to be interesting how much pushback he gets uh, for for the usage rate, which is funny because he's he's actually behind Giannis in terms of usage rate this season. But I, I think I, th I think you're already starting to see the like Luca James Harden on the Rockets comparisons. You know where where it felt like a lot of people turned on Harden. He got his MVP, um, but you know the, I think by the time he left Houston, there was a lot of kind of empty calorie debate with him. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if if Luca ends up drawing that same criticism. 
speaking of voter fatigue, would you be okay voting for Nikola Jokic? Like it, it, if you had a vote, I, I don't know if you do or not. Um, because it does feel to me like there are some people that before the season even started had just crossed him off the list no matter what. I, I don't have a, I submit a vote to myself, but I don't think the NBA. Okay, yeah, think same here. I'm, I'm a self-voter yeah. as well. <laughs> always make a list. You always, we are in the list business here, Nick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think he, I think he does. And I look for reasons not to have him at the top of the list because even though I don't have a vote, I still have the same fatigue as everybody else. Seeing mm-hmm. Nikola Jokic on a Denver Nuggets team that, frankly, we're not watching above some of the other uh, great competitive teams that are out there in the NBA, I think that it's it's a little boring, you know? And he has exciting highlights, but he doesn't have, like, he he's not the take the game over in the final few minutes Jordan-LeBron-esque John Morant, even, you know, if you want to add him to uh, that sort of list in terms of the current guys that are doing it, that sort of um, swagger about him. He's got a dad bod and he uh, and and he kind of, you know, he's he's out there like Arvidas Sabonis in terms of what he's doing from a special basketball standpoint. So I think I think it can bore some people, but you can't overlook what he's doing night to night. And that's that's their entire team it's him and he's got them at the top of a, a of the western conference right now so he, that cannot be overlooked yeah i mean it, i think you could say Doncic has a dad bod as well i, I do he wonder does. maybe there's going to be a reckoning at crazy? some point like is, is it better to not be in shape in the nba uh, i don't know you know and i think because of those two guys my new year's my new year's resolution is to work out less i think i'm just going to start <laughs> Everybody else is trying to trend in the other direction, but I say zig while others are zagging. Yeah. Look at Luka and Nikola Jokic; those guys aren't hitting the gym five days a week. No, not at all. I mean, it gives hope to to, to those of us out there who are not <laughs> world class athletes. I'll tell you that. Um, all right, I know we got to get out of here in a bit, so we'll, we'll we'll close on this. Let's let's talk about some teams who maybe we did not necessarily expect to be potential sellers as the trade deadline arrives. I, I'm thinking teams like Toronto, <clears throat> excuse me, Atlanta. Uh, Minnesota, um, you know, potentially Miami. I, I, I think they're more of a reload team as opposed to a true seller. But um, any of those teams or, or any others that I didn't mention who you're kind of surprised are, are in the conversation or in the spot that they are at this juncture? New York would be one. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that they would be a little bit more competitive than where they are right now. And I think the most surprising has to be Atlanta. The fact that we're seeing Trey Young's name out there as a trade candidate come the deadline that, that that things are souring with him and the Atlanta Hawks franchise. That one stands out to me. Um, the Miami Heat, I mean, are always going to be part of these types of discussions because they're either great or they're making moves. That's what we love about that franchise. So I'd be surprised if they just co- kind of hung out in the middle. And then Toronto can't be a dark horse because I think that's at the top of everybody's list when it comes to teams that have pieces that other teams would be interested in. They're clearly not. Um, they're not hitting the mark. They're 16 and 21 as it stands right now. This is a team that talent wise should be in a play in mix. And for whatever reason, you know, I think they're missing that guy that puts them over the hump or they just have too many small forwards on their roster. Uh, but it's just not working there. So those are the teams that I think you really look out for that are surprising. Um, yeah. And 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 who knows what that means in terms of I think the interesting thing with those three, like the Raptors, the Hawks, the Heat, I mean, if you want to throw the Knicks in there, is do they make moves to get worse or to get better? So I don't know where they are in terms of that approach. Yeah. 
I, I the Hawks and the Raptors are the two most interesting ones to me. I, the Knicks, you could totally see gunning for it and, you know, ultimately getting like the seven seed and, and getting worked by Boston in round one. Like that, that kind of feels like their trajectory because I mean, this was a team, they were, they were 10 and 13 at one point. Now they're 20 and 18. You know, they've, they've, they've played much better over the last month. So I, I feel like the Knicks could at least talk themselves into becoming something. Whereas with Atlanta and Toronto, it just seems, it, it seems like the rosters are like poisoned for whatever reason. I, I think in Atlanta, it, there's a little bit more transparency as to what's going on, but Toronto, I don't know, man. I, I was high on the Raptors. I was high on Scotty Barnes. I think they maybe regret not flipping Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant when it seemed like that could have been a realistic possibility. But um, it, it just feels like whatever for whatever reason, this core is not clicking. Is there a single team like this in the West? Or is the West just so wide open that it, it's kind of hard to decide if you're on that line? You know, I think one of the dark horses would be Phoenix. Uh, this is a team that was at the top of the Western Conference for a couple of years, and then now they're sort of just in the mix. Uh, they're a good team, but they're not great. And, uh, you know, they had a little hot run a couple of weeks back, but I don't see this as a team that's going to compete for any championships. And um, and I, they could they could hit the reload button with a couple yeah. of the pieces that they have. I'm surprised that they what they did with Aiton in the offseason and all of that was very peculiar, and I'm sure that he wasn't happy with it. Uh, the way that he got dragged through the restricted free agency period. Um, Chris Paul is, you know, borderline over the hill. So I think that's probably one of those teams where it wouldn't totally shock me to see them just kind of hit implode on themselves. In a vacuum, I love that idea. I just, I, I think they have to, they almost owe it to Chris Paul, I think, to to make one right. more run. And they started so well. I mean, they've lost 11 of 15 now. So that the record is a little bit ugly, but, you know, Paul and Booker missed a ton of time in that span, but you're right on Aiden. It felt like the, the, the mishandling of that situation, I think has just created some bad vibes that don't seem like they've gone away. And if the Suns are going to win the finals this year, if that's the goal, they need to add somebody like they're they're I, I love their top six when they're healthy. They have one of the worst benches in the league. You're, you're depending on guys who should have no business, you know, playing 20 to 25 minutes in an important playoff game. So I, I'll be interested to see uh, what they're able to end up getting for Jay Crowder at the deadline. But uh, Brandon, we got to get out of here, man. We're out of time. I appreciate you, as always, uh, hopping on to join us. We'll, we'll have you back again soon. And uh, tell the listeners if you have anything you published lately and you know any kind of radio things you want to pub and, and where they can hear you. So uh, the opinions day-to-day, uh, those take place on 96.9 The Game in Orlando. You don't have to be in Orlando to listen to my live show from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Uh, you can listen on the iHeartRadio app, so you can listen live there and stream me wherever you may be. And then as part of the RotoWire family, I also post a daily podcast called Fantasy Bites where I cover mostly what's going on in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, key injuries, some DFS advice, and then I always give out, uh, give out a single betting pick for that day's games coming up uh, on each episode. So that's the Fantasy Bites podcast. You can download that wherever podcasts are found. Excellent. Love the pub for RotoWire at the end. Make sure you check out Fantasy Bites. Brandon does a great job hosting that. Uh, awesome stuff again, man, and look forward to chatting again in the future. A happy New Year to you. You do a great job with the podcast and uh, look forward to the next visit. It is uh, truly an honor to be back. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.